Amen. I'd like to welcome everyone today. If you're a guest here this morning, we welcome you. Thank you for being a part of this service this morning. If you're joining us online somewhere, we welcome you as a part of this service as well. Pray that you are blessed by it wherever you may be. Amen. If you're not standing and you're able to stand, if you would do so, please. We are thankful again today to have Brother Morgan back with us and extremely grateful for the blessing his ministry has been to Antioch and look forward to the future. (laughs) He said to me this morning when he got on the platform, and I think it's true, he said, I've been here more than you have lately. (laughs) Whether it's true or not, it definitely feels that way. So we're thankful for him today. Would you welcome him as he comes to minister to us today? Can you do that under the Lord one more time? Praise God. Amen. I have been so blessed today by the worship of music and song, Um, you can't help but feel what you need to feel when you start talking about the amazing grace of Calvary. I think that sometimes it becomes rhetoric and we take so much of it for granted, but amazing grace, how sweet the sound, saved a wretch like me. That's not just a song, Uh, that's a fact. Where would we be without the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. Amen. I'm so appreciative of the honor and the privilege to be part of what God is doing here. And I want to make just a few statements here uh, before I go into what I really feel uh, in my spirit here today. But sometime in September when we uh, begin this journey together... um, I was either the first Sunday or the second Sunday. I was over there and I told your pastor, I said, before this is all over with, uh, it's going to be a lot of change and God's going to settle some things. And I wouldn't tell you all the details because it's, it's, it's probably not as much your business as it was his business. But um, change is necessary. Since September, um, I have inserted often and many times the importance of change there's no change you die and I feel like tonight God will speak to us more about the importance of change but in case he doesn't uh, when you are a baby in the womb your hands are not quite what they look like right now and through the process of time and God's blueprint things die between the fingers and it forms what is needed so how it begins is not what is needed. And so change brings about what is needed at peculiar, particular moments. Are you with me? Now, you're nervous and you think I'm going to tell you something. I'm not. You already know everything. Matter of fact, you know what I don't know because I haven't watched or haven't listened. But nevertheless, uh, often in the past three or four months told you change, change, change. It's necessary. It's, it's, it's got to happen. Um, if you're an apostolic church, you can't have the same kind of church this year that you had last year. 
And may I just point a finger to everybody's face here today and say, if you're truly apostolic, you ought not be the same this year as you was last year. You ought not be that. Amen. September of October of every year, the 19 plus years that I pastored my church, along about that time, I began a season of reflection. And I promised the Lord that certain time of year that I would pause ministry, life, duties, and I would reflect. And I would look back upon the past 12 months of my life, and I would, I would make sure that in every area of my life, there was growth. Because if there's not growth, the spiritual state would be backsliding or death. And I'm, I'm fearful today that we're, we're, we're part of a bunch of apostolic people who will think they're apostolic, who are stymied or stuck because of a comfort zone. We're comfortable where we are. We're not going to change anything. And we're going to be the same this year as we were last year and the year before because we're, we're comfortable. Jesus hates comfortableness. There, there's nothing about the Messiah uh, that came comfortable or left comfortable. And anything built by the hands of man has a tendency to be demonic. Are you still with me? In the Old Testament, when there were tabernacles built with God's hands, were there ever demons cast out of them? But yet the introduction of the New Testament, when men built synagogues, there were many cast out in the synagogue. Anything that has man attached to it has the tendency to be demonic because we are flesh. Flesh likes to be comfortable. Flesh likes the mundane. Flesh likes the comfort zone. And so you have to have a spiritual wrecking ball to tear down what is not needed so that you can build what is needed. And you have to be mature enough to understand that some things God's just going to do. And it's not that people are bad. It's not that the situation is bad. It's that the times demand something greater. Thank God for what we've accomplished in the past. But you cannot live for God based on what we've accomplished in the past. If you live in the past, you have no vision for the future. You're going to crash your vehicle. Stop driving in this futuristic moment, looking in the rearview mirror. That's not where your vision needs to be. Your vision needs to be in that big old windshield. You glance at the past. You look to the future. Okay, there's nothing behind us. We're good. Side. Okay, we're good. Let's keep going. And, and you can't, you can't live driving that vehicle into the future, looking and driving, uh, in that rearview mirror. You, you can't do it. You, you just can't do it. And so, uh, is this all right, pastor? Okay. Um, new Testament, they are standing there and there's a wheat field and somebody comes running to the man in charge and said, my goodness, there's so many tears in that field. There's probably as many tares as our wheat heads. And they said, we need to go through there and we need to, we need to dig out the tares. We need to make sure that this harvest is pure. And thank God for wisdom. He said, no, you leave it alone. You don't touch it. You let them grow together. Now I need you to listen very closely to me that you need to let them grow together until the harvest. And the truest thing about the harvest it reveals submission. It doesn't just bring in the lost. It reveals submission. 
The reason why they said leave the tares there is per chance that you reached for a tear and got a wheat, you would destroy something good. So here's what God does. He says, you leave it alone until the harvest. I feel the Holy Ghost so strong. Right now, you leave it alone until the harvest. And here's what happens. The wheat grew up in wheat country. The wheat, when it is ready, by God's divine design, bows. The head gets heavy and it cannot stand up and it starts stooping over. But the tear has no tendency. It has not the ability to bend. It stays straight. Leave it alone until the harvest. And then you will see who is submitted and who's not submitted. And then the good men of the house will come in and will remove the tares and leave they that have the ability to submit to the perfect divine will of God. Well, I'm ready to go eat. So what we need most is a harvest. I do not feel like uh, this this nature of mine gets me in trouble sometimes, and I do try to keep it crucified. I really do. Um, um, it gets me in trouble because there's no quit in me. I, I hate to lose. I'll cheat to win. You can be holy if you want to. I'm going to be truthful. My wife and I, we quit playing card games many, many years ago because it put us on a path of destruction. Because she has the ability to beat me almost every stinking time we play. So I cheat. Because I'm going to win. And I say that to be funny, but yet in truth, um, when we began this in the month of September, I know what the Lord spoke to this church. And I know the vision that was cast for this church. And I also watched the one and only time Tom Foster preached here about the revival that is here. We are not done yet. I need you to hear me. And while you start your building programs, and while you start the drastic change that God has mandated, if you get distracted because the buildings and the other things, that's not what is most important. What is most important is doing the will of God. And I have noticed, I've known, I've noticed too many times, too many opportune times, perfect timing, where the will of God is ready, the people of God is ready, and all of a sudden we get encumbered with the how. Are you listening to me? The how is not as important as the who. If this is God's church, let God do it. Now you got quite right there. Don't, don't buck up against me right now. Hear me. What is not as important as who? This is God's church. He has his men in charge. But do not get sidetracked on who's going there and how come they're going and how come hook all that. Stay submitted to the will of God, but don't you lose sight of what God is doing in this church. I feel like I'm ministering right now. Do not lose sight of it. Change is necessary. Change has to happen. But you must not. I've, I've seen too many times that at the, at the most 
important time of a church's future harvest time that too many distractions show up. Some are good distractions, some are bad distractions, but they're all distractions. You cannot afford to be distracted right now. And I, I, I believe in what the Lord has spoken to this church. I believe in the history of this church. But your greatest days are not behind you, they are in front of you. Stop looking to the revival of the 80s to dictate what God is going to do in 2016. You hear me? That's, that's not the best of this church. The best of this church is in this place this morning. It was here last weekend. It'll be here Thursday night or Wednesday night or next Sunday. Your future is where your hope is. I think we ought to lift our hands and I think we ought to spend a moment and just absorb what the Holy Ghost is saying to us right now. You do me a favor. Can you put the, will you put the mark of the beast up? Is this okay? I'm ready to preach, but I'm also wanting to follow the Holy Ghost here this morning. Anybody tell me what that is? It's the number of man. You, you, you say six, six, six. Everybody says mark of the beast, mark of the beast. And I have set through crusades in the eighties. With brother, you know who talking about the mark of the beast, and we scare people into the altar about the mark of the beast, the mark of the beast. It's at six six six. May I show you the true mark of the beast? Next slide, please. Question mark. That is the mark of the beast. Six 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 is not. That is. That is the original mark of the beast. Let me tell you where he where he where he instituted that. Go to the next slide. When he changed that into that, that's the mark of the beast. The the greatest tactic of the enemy is not to change things. It's to cause you to question things. All right, we, we may just stay here just a little while. Um. In the day that thou eatest of that tree, thou shalt surely die. Tell her I said that. Adam looks at her and says, in the day that you look at or you touch, you die. Lucifer showed up and said, did God say? And quoted verbatim what God said. And what he did is when God ended his statement to Adam with an explanation point, Lucifer ended what God said with a question mark. Thus introducing the first original mark of the beast. The enemy's tactic is not to get you to remove what God said, but to question what God says. And I think I'm talking to some apostolic people here today that need to quit questioning what's going on. Stop changing what is, what is highlighted, accentuated, um, 
don't, don't change the explanation mark into a question mark. Just know God said it. I am not required to understand it at every level. But I am required to be obedient to it at all levels. Jesus. Well, I don't, I don't like that. I don't, I don't think that's right. And now, now you've got, and I've been preaching this for five years. Now you've got the alteration of society, the moral fabric of society. I think I preached it here on the importance of femininity and masculinity in the kingdom of God and how the world is erasing it. And now you have bathrooms that that are open to anybody. Well, not the ones that I'll be going into. Because I believe that a man's a man and a woman's a woman and we're we're, we're so opposite. Now, now you, you can be masculine and want to be feminine if you choose to. But I'm masculine and want to stay masculine. Every now and then I just go spit in the parking lot just because I can. Every now and then I just go kill something because I'm man enough to do so. And I don't shop in a certain store that doesn't have men's department and women's department. You say, oh, you're being old-fashioned. You're right, I am. I'm being very old-fashioned. I'm being Genesis 2 old-fashioned. I'm being as old-fashioned as you can get. I am the original blueprint. I am aggressive. I am authoritative. I am rough. But if you want to see me in the feminine form, meet my wife. There's nothing about her masculine. She doesn't spit in the parking lot. She gets on to me for doing so. You you get my point? Stop letting the world tell the church how we're supposed to impact the world. We are the church. We believe in explanation points, not question marks. Well, I, I, I just think that I think that uh, what the Lord is doing and what the Lord has spoken is not hype. It's not a myth. It's not a fairy tale. It is, it is his will for this church. And I think this church is in safe hands. I, think this, I know this church is in safe hands. Amen. Worst thing, the worst thing can ever happen to a church is for somebody to get a sense of ownership about it. Nobody owns this thing. We're part of it. We do not own it. It was owned and purchased with precious blood. We sang about it this morning. The grace of Jesus Christ is what gathered us together. Amen. I'm going to, I'm going to deliver what I feel in my spirit today, and it's going to be along the same lines. If you would remain standing to the book of Second Samuel, we will go in the first chapter. Second Samuel chapter 1. If you have it, would you say amen? Now, you're, you're awful quiet here today, but I guess listening sometimes demands that. And it came to pass after the death of Saul, when David was returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, that David had abode two days in Ziklag. And it came even to pass on the third day that, behold, the man came out of the camp of Saul with his clothes rent, earth upon his head, and so it was when he came to David that he fell on the earth and did obeisance. Verse number 3, And David said unto him, From whence comest thou? And he said unto him, Out of the camp of Israel am I escaped. And David said unto him, How went the matter? I pray thee tell me. And he answered, 
that the people are fled from the battle, and many of the people are so fallen and dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. And David said unto the young man, How, how knewest thou that Saul and Jonathan, his son, be dead? And the young man that told him said, As I happened by chance, would you say by chance? As I happened by chance upon Mount Geboa, behold, Saul leaned upon his spear, and lo, the chariots and the horsemen followed hard after him. And when I looked him and he saw me, he called unto me and said, and answered, Here am I. And he said unto me, Who art thou? And I answered him, I am an Amalekite. And he said unto me again, Stand, I pray thee, upon me and slay me, for anguish has come upon me, because my life is yet whole in me. So I stood upon him and slew him because I was sure that he could not live after that he was fallen. And I took the crown that was upon his head and the bracelet that was on his arm. And I had brought them hither unto my Lord. Then David took hold of his clothes and rent them. And likewise, all the men that were with him. And they mourned and wept and fasted until even for Saul and for Jonathan, his son. And for the people of the Lord, for the house of Israel, because they were fallen by the sword. I want to preach to you this morning for a few moments. I am an Amalekite. I am an Amalekite. Would you lift your voices and lift your hands? Father, we love you today. We feel such uh, direct direction for what you have spoken into my spirit. Help me today to articulate, not, not just sermonize, not just preach, but God, I want to speak to the heart of this people today. You are here. Lives must be changed. Decisions must be rendered. Help us in this place today. Come on, everybody, lift your voices. You may be seated in Jesus' name. Reader's Digest used to be one of my favorite things to read. I don't even know if they have them out anymore, but they do. Uh, one of the unique things was all the stories that they would gather throughout, throughout the world, throughout the United States. And when I was a younger guy, one story in particular stood out to me. It was a story about a farmer from the Midwest. My grandfather on my dad's side was a sharecropper. My father grew up that way. And so I grew up in farm country, in the boot hill of Missouri. And my earliest memories is the cotton patch, the cotton fields, the watermelon fields, the cantaloupe, the beans, the wheat, the milo. My dad drove a truck. Uh, We'd go down to the mill. No sense in boring you with my beginnings. I'm very familiar with tractors and combines, at least in that era of time. And I can remember early on with my dad, uh, farming and the farm equipment, the many and often warnings that I received. Stay away from that. That's going to get you. Leave that alone. That'll hurt you. And so that coupled with my mother's warnings about the house, it's not long in life before you start realizing that there's probably more no's that you're going to hear than yeses. Don't touch that. That'll hurt you. Don't do that. Don't climb on that. Don't jump off that. Don't tear that up. Don't say that. Don't go there. And so 
uh, the beginning of my life, your life, is, is built on a lot of don'ts, and that will hurt you. And I think that sometimes it becomes so much the same that we lose the impact of don't do that. We were in a, a Chinese restaurant, a Japanese restaurant, one of my boy's favorite places where they cook the food in front of you. And the little lady walked over and she turned on that big grill and she looked right at my sons and said, this is hot. Do not touch it. It wasn't very long until Sunshine decided it was not too hot for him. And so he took his palm and he wanted to test it. And when he did, he literally burnt the flesh off of the palm of his hand. And I looked at him and I said, did you not hear her say, don't touch that? Yes. Why did you touch that? I didn't think it would be that hot. Hey, Eve, we must not eat of the tree. Leave it alone. And we must even build a safer safeguard. We won't even look upon it. We're going to not touch it. We're going to stay away from it. And 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 we, we're just not going to do that, Eve. Why? Why did you eat of the tree? Maybe, possibly, her response could be the same because I didn't really think it would be that bad. And so we are born with the ability, according to the Scripture, with the residue, the, 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 the propensity of sin. It, it resides in us. I... I never taught my boys to go into the store and steal gum. I never taught my boys to backtalk their mother or I. I I didn't have to teach them to say no and throw a fit. However, I I've spent many of time of life teaching them don't steal and don't cuss and and, and don't be dishonest and tell the truth. And are you with me today? And so the conflict of what is in me. Verses on where or what I ought to do is a battle of all ages. It is one for the ages. Paul said it best. He said there is conflict, there is war between the flesh and the spirit. The spirit wants to do what is right, but the flesh of a man has the tendency to self-destruct and always make bad choices. And so... I learned quickly that you can know what is right, but do what is wrong. I need you to hear me today. You can know right, but do wrong. You can be told right, but choose wrong. Paul to the church of Rome in the seventh chapter said, That that I would do, I do not. That that I don't want to do, that's what I do. When I want to stand, I don't have the ability to stand. When I want to do good, evil is present with me. For in this body is a law and it is sin. And he said, if my law of sin is ever going to be conquered, I must ask the question, who from this body? Paul did not ask what shall deliver me. Paul asked who shall deliver me. 
The misunderstanding in the earth today is people are looking for a what to deliver them. It's never the what of deliverance. It is the who of deliverance. And the who is still the amazing grace. How sweet. Come on, clap your hands and give the Lord praise here today. It was in Reader's Digest that this story came to life to me. It was a young farmer in the 70s that had taken over for his father. And he had grew up on the farm. He knew the dangers of it. He knew where all the negative was. And so life had dealt him the hand and he began to live as the man in charge. He was on an old combine. He was harvesting the field and the combine got jammed with some stump or piece of wood that had somehow found its way into the field. And when the combine grabbed that chunk of wood, it could not cycle, it could not turn. And the little farmer got off and he looked into the teeth of that combine. And knowing better, knowing better, he decided to reach in and see if he could dislodge what was jammed there. The story, the story reads that as I put my hand in to dislodge what had jammed the teeth, my father's voice shouted to me, be careful. Don't ever put your hand in here. You'll pay the high price of knowing better. He said, even though I knew better, even though I was taught better, I thought I could do different. And he put his hand in. And as he dislodged that piece of wood, the combine, the gears, the teeth began to turn. And one of them pierced his upper arm and drug him into that. Now it was his arm that had become the jam. The story made short is he lost his arm due to the high price of knowing better. If he could have done different, he would have. If he could have chosen a different path, I'm sure he would have. But even though he knew better, even though he understood different, even though he knew the price of doing that, something about him decided, I am different than everybody else. I am different than the rest of the world. They can do this and lose a limb. I can do this and survive. I'm faster. I'm more sure. I'm unique. But the fact of the matter is, and trouble's going to come to us all, we all will face consequences of our actions, and none of us are exempt. Save the Lord Jesus Christ. Wipe our slate clean. I feel like today, early this morning, matter of fact, last evening before I went to bed, the Holy Ghost began to churn in my spirit and the warning came so clear to me. You better tell them there's a high price of knowing better. You better tell somebody there in the morning that I am in their midst and I am chastening them. I am calling them. I'm trying to help them. But they will not trick me. They will not fool me. I see everything. I know everything. I go everywhere. And so this morning I walk to this pulpit and tell you, 
That if God has spoken to your life, if you're being challenged to change, if there's something wrong and you're trying to hide it, the morning has come when you've got to deal with that. There is a moment of transparency where everything needs to be cast at the foot of the cross. You can get quiet on me if you want to. Calvary's still going to be spoken here today. Grace is going to flow like a river here today. A cleansing from the cross is going to take place. Amazing to me that you can preach revival and hoop and holler and people bite chunks out of a ceiling. You start talking about sin and grace, how quiet the apostolics get. Because I am, I am, I am a contender. I believe that there's a whole bunch of us with a whole bunch of stuff we're wanting to keep hid here today. And I wish to God I could preach to the visitor, just the sinner that's here today. But the fact of the matter is, my message will be more in demand for those of us that have tasted Calvary. Help me preach today. Uh, I remember my father telling me and my brothers, every time you get ready to go on a trip, you change the oil in that car. Every time you get ready to go on a long journey, check the oil in that car. Make sure to keep it fresh. It's so minute. It's so unimportant. You buy it for 2 and $3 a quart. It's just in a little plastic container. It's, it's slick. It's just oil. But a motor without oil, it's not a motor very long. And so... Checking your oil is so time consuming. It's just, it's just so monotonous. It's just a headache. And if you don't believe how big a headache it is, ask my younger brother how many motors he's blown up because it's foolishness. Are you with me today? It's not going to get any better. You might as well jump on board now. Small things matter. Little things matter. Oil in a motor is important. How do you know when you need more oil? Because you must check your oil. The dipstick reveals it all. But my dad is, is, is so consistent with this. He'll check the fluids on his car. He checks them on a weekly basis. He checks them on a monthly basis. My dad changes the oil in his car every 3,000 miles. I am 47 years old, soon to be 48, and I have yet, I have yet to live through the experience or know of a time when my father burned a motor up because it didn't have oil in it. And it all starts with a weekly commitment. I'm going to pull that dipstick. I'm going to check the oil. And if it needs a half a quart, I'm not going to say, well, it's just a half a quart low. It needs five quarts for a reason, not four and a half. Mm. Uh, every now and then I, I, I have to take my horse trailer and, and I have to pack the bearings and make sure they're okay before you start pulling thousands of pounds of horse flesh around. You want to make sure your bearings are okay. And so you have to take the wheel off, right? And you got to take that, that nut off and you got to get to that carter pin. And the, the bearings and all of those issues that matter are, are contingent upon one little pin that runs through the spoke of that hub. One time we forgot to put that little pin back in and I found out just how important it was. It doesn't look very big compared to the horse trailer. But oh, it's significant. Oh, it matters. If it's not where it's supposed to be, it matters when you need it the most. Oh, God, help us here today. I am reminded of a tabernacle plan. 
I'm reminded of how minute and consistent the plan was. And thou shalt take this, and thou shalt overlay that with this, and thou shalt build it this long, and this deep, and that wide, and this high, and in it thou shalt put, and on it thou shalt put. And if you read that, it gets very monotonous. They're going to be that big around. It's got to be that, that diameter. It's got to be that thick. It's got to be that tall. Because on and in that ark will be my presence. Do not carry my ark any other way except on the shoulders of the priest. Let the staves be in the rings and the priest's shoulders be under the staves. Oh, that's how God wanted it. And the man after God's own heart thought he had a better plan. And he tried to move the ark of the covenant on the back of an oxen. And when the oxen shook the ark, Uzzah tried to steady it. And the anger of the Lord was kindled because that's not how you move my ark. I preach today that small things ought to matter to this congregation. Little things ought to matter to your home. The right, the wrong, the good, the bad, the yes, the no's. They've got Preach to me about revival. Tell me how many folk are going to come get the Holy Ghost. We have and we will. But that's not what's important today to this Sunday morning congregation. Somebody mastering the art of little things is what's important. Baptism in Jesus' name is important. Not just getting baptized. Going to the right church is as important as not going to church at all. Little things matter. Small, minute, inconsistent. Just little things matter. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this temple, this tabernacle, and we're going to dress it, and we're going to cleanse it. We're going to prepare it. We're going to get it ready. And the preacher and all the saints, all the ministry, they're going to minister before me every day. Are you listening to me? They're going to minister to me every day. Every day that this tabernacle is constructed. I demand their presence. But in order for them to see how to minister to me, I want you to put lights in the tabernacle on the walls. And the lights shall have a wick. And the wick shall be fed by oil. And the oil shall be maintained. Let me call them the lesser. The, 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 the oil will be maintained by the ministry or the preachers of the church. It is their duty to make sure that the wicks are trimmed. And the oil is filled. So that when the man of God starts ministering in the tabernacle, he can see what he's preaching to. And he can see how to preach who he's preaching to. Are you listening to me? But it becomes so mundane. It becomes just a thing that they did. That the Bible says that the ear of the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle. And there was no more light. And because the ear of the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle. And Eli was blind and couldn't discern it. The ark of God was thrust into a battle. And the ark of God was taken. Where did it start? 
start? Did it start on the day of the battle? No. Did it start when the Philistines got mad at Israel? No. Did it start when the lamp of God went out of the temple? No. It started when one of the preachers decided that's not too important. I'm too busy to do something so insignificant and so small. I feel like I've got an axe swinging at an old spiritual tree here today. But we are not going to negate the small things. We are not going to get so mesmerized by the glamorous and the glorious that we forget it takes prayer. It takes fasting. It takes commitment. It takes consecration. It takes loving God more than we love I want revival more than I want anything in this life. I contend for revival every pulpit I go. I wrote a letter last night. In the letter I said, I believe with all of my heart that the generational blessings that I was given to my grandfather, my great-grandparents, my parents, the fourth generation that I represent, I believe that I want it more today, worse more today than ever in my entire life, but not at the cost of not doing it right. You can't build an ark-friendly cart and have the glory of God. I hope you're listening to me today. You can't produce an environment that is ark-friendly without doing it God's way. Well, we can move it faster. Faster is not important. We can move it better. Better is not important. Doing it right is. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray. Humble yourself and pray. But there's more to it than humbling and praying. There's a turning. Then I will hear, I will heal, I will answer. Let's put it on a new cart. We can do it quicker. You won't get there quicker. You won't get there at all. Because there will be a pothole in the road. And the oxen are going to stumble. And some innocent bystander is going to reach up and try to help you. Because you told him it was alright to do it that way. But God's anger is going to be kindled against him. And he's going to lose his life. And it's going to cost you more time trying to do it faster than if you'd have done it God's way. I'm going to make a statement to this church and I want you to hear me. You can't plan this. You can't organize this. You can't orchestrate this. You can't put this on paper. Get it as good as you can. Spend as much time as you want getting organized. But at the end of the day, God's going to move in here suddenly. God's going to shake this place. And it will flow out of here like a river of living water into the streets, down the highways, across county lines, into the states, out of the states, into the nations. One, two, three. Thank you for believing that. Let me tell you something else. And I need you to hear me today. It's not going to come through putting church on a time clock. It's not going to come by having the music director sing all of Hillside songs. There's still power in the blood. There's still power, 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 power in the blood. There's still a name above all names. There's still 
power in the name. There's still healing in the name. And every now and then I think we ought to go back and sing about it. Why? Because when Miriam come out, when the people of God crossed over, he gave them a song and he gave them a tambourine and it was he brought me out. I'm so glad he brought me out. Not what are we looking for? Not show me thy glory. It's the fact we ought to celebrate. We've come out of the land of Egypt. We've crossed into the land of promise. Come on church. You won't have revival sitting there on Sunday morning. You won't have revival doing it any other way than what needs to be done. We did a, uh, we did a remodel and we chose some doors. And David, these doors were so heavy, it took, uh, it took at least three or four of us. They were solid doors. They were so heavy. And when we got them, they were so beautiful and they were going to make the sanctuary entrance doors look so good. And we got to putting them in there and I laid them down. And I got to watching those guys put those doors up and I thought, how in the world are you going to be able to open and close a door that heavy? And I watched the carpenter. As a matter of fact, he, 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 they're, they're watching this morning. I, I watched as they put the door hinge. And they took four long screws and they screwed it in that solid piece of wood. And they put four hinges down that door. And they put the matching set, are you with me? On the door frame. And when they stood that big old heavy door up, they put it. And then they took a dial. And a revelation dawned on me. It doesn't matter how big or heavy the door is. If it's leveraged right. The weight, the ability of that door to work properly was on that hinge, upon that dial. Upon this shall all nations. Upon this shall all the tabernacle. Upon this shall all the priests. Upon this shall all the commandments. Upon this shall all. Are you listening to me? There's always that small thing that's most important. And you cannot start the doctrine of negating small things. I'm going to tell you something. You're a new convert. We believe in separation from the world here. I feel like that needs to be said again. No, it's just a small thing. That's not really important. To you, it's not. But to those that understand what the small things support and move or open and close to us, we value the small thing because the small thing opens big things. We believe you have to repent of your sins around here. We don't believe you can just say the Lord's Prayer and go to heaven. We don't believe you can just repeat after me and go to heaven. We don't believe you can repent and go back to living the life you lived before you repented and be right with God. That's that's insignificant. That That's not important. I mean, there's preachers today that says we can all just get along. We're all going to the same heaven. No, we're not. We're not going to the same heaven. Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, if you're coming to my heaven, if you're coming to, oh, oh, don't get offended. This is just a small thing, but an important thing. Jesus said, not Muhammad, not Muda, not not, not Joseph Smith, not Allah, not some religious freak, nobody but Jesus. Good old Jesus said, except a man be born again of water and spirit, he cannot enter 
You must repent. You must be baptized. You must receive the Holy Ghost. Or you cannot. You cannot. Come on, clap your hands. We're finally breaking something here today. My mama said, my dad and my church, and that's not large enough for me to become contentious with you over. I don't mean to be contentious. I mean to be authoritative. I mean to be very clear. It may be a small thing to Christendom today, but it is a big thing to God. I love it when people get revelations for themselves. Really do. The other day, he got a phone call from Logan, and I was driving down the road, and he said, "Got a minute?" I said, "Sure, I do." He said, "I got it." I said, you "Got what?" He said, "I got the revelation." I said, "Okay." And on my mind, I'm thinking, "Well, there's thousands of revelations. Which which one did you get?" He said, "It's simple, isn't it?" And I said, well, "Let's start with the beginning. What revelation did you get?" He said, "Who he is." I said, oh, that's a good one. That's a good one to get. He said, it's so simple. He said, I've seen you, me, Devin, and Dylan, and Colton sitting at a table. And you crying, weeping. How much you love the world. How much you love humanity. How much of what you would give to save them. And yet you looked down the table and said, because I love this world so much, you need to go die for them. He said, Dad, it just dawned on me. He didn't love me if he sent somebody else. They loved me more than he loved me. But the Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave. See, you might think I'm preaching a small thing. But when you start removing... Our children... They get the Beatitudes. We're going to make sure church is fun. We're going to make sure we're relevant. But I wonder, in our rank and file, if you pull every young person from 12 to 35 and you made them write an essay and explain to you the mighty God in Christ, you would be shocked at how little they know. But... Because we've lost the revelation of him. Let's build mosh pits and act like we worship what we don't even know. Let me just make a statement. You don't need a mosh pit if you know him. I know. I know. That never goes over good. Because we've switched our culture. Everybody comes up and we all sway and the music and the lights are dim. And the smoke's billowing. And we all feel good about worshiping somebody we're really not in fellowship with. Let me tell you how, how good this thing works. You can be on the back row today or in the Sunday school class today and just whisper the mention of his name if you know him and chill bumps and, and you start, my God, the Holy Ghost is real. My daddy got the Holy Ghost in a cotton field on the back of a tractor. My daddy plowed acres and acres while he talked in tongues. You better hear me. My God, where's the little thing called suddenly? Where's the kind of church where folk just stand up and start getting the whole... Saul, thus saith the Lord. Saul, you listen to me. 
I'm mad at Amalek. I'm finished with them. What they did to Israel in the way, I'm done. I have sworn that I would have war with them from generation to generation. But the day has come when I'm going to utterly and completely wipe them out. May I say in passing this morning that the Old Testament was a bloody book. The Old Testament was a bloody, war-filled, strategic, bloody book. And you read about the wars that happened with Israel and her enemies in the physical are supposed to be happening with Israel and her enemies in the spiritual, in the New Testament. The war hadn't stopped. It's just become spiritual where it was physical. When's the last time you warred until your sword cleaved to your hand? When's the last time you got up and walked the floors of your home and took dominion because you had the authority to do so? See, you are biblically commanded to take, to dress, to keep in order to have dominion. But we have become so engrossed on the right kind of church. Oh, my, 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 my. Saul, I want you to go down to Agag and I want you to utterly destroy. Do you get that? Yeah, yeah, I got it. Utterly, completely. Don't save anything. Kill their animals. All right. I'll do so. So Saul anointed himself. Or was anointed. He left. Gathered his battle or his warriors, his army. He went down to Amalek. And there he waged a war. And when he got in there, the blood began to fall. Bodies begin to pile up. Screams of agony. Moms and dads, brothers and sisters, children, animals, houses begin to fall. And then somebody said, we got a hold of Agag. We got all his ministers and we got all his talent. And they brought him to Saul. They brought him and said, this is the king. He's anointed or he's unique. He's got this wealth. He's got this ability. And they somehow sold Saul on keeping him alive. And the Bible says that he saved the best. I'm fearful that we have crossed into an area to what we once warred against and stood against. And prayed against. Because somebody said you could get used to it. And handle it. And control it. That we're keeping things alive. That we ought to have slain. Now you can get quiet if you want to right now. And so the Bible says that he kept them alive. The best. The greatest. The elite. And the prophet came. To check on the work of Saul. And the prophet asked Saul, did you do what the Lord commanded you? And he said, I did. And the prophet says, then why do I hear the sound of sheep and oxen? And who's that? And Saul said, listen, listen. The people. Peer pressure. 
pressure of this present world, family pressure, you'd be surprised how loud those voices can get. You'd be surprised how strong that voice is in your life. You'll only find it when you've been asked to do the will of God. And he said, prophet, it was the people. They, they decided, and I didn't want to upset the people. And the prophet grabbed the sword, and the Bible says he hacked him. He, he, he chopped him. To, he slew everything that God told him to slay. And then he turned around to Saul, and he said, now you're in trouble. You've messed up. And everything that you love that will be taken from you and given to your neighbor And Saul tried to argue and blame the people, but God would have none of it. Listen to me, I'm almost done. God would have none of it. And Saul reigned a few more years. Things were appearingly good. And all of a sudden, the day of battle, all of a sudden, he was in the fight of his life. And as he's knocked from his chariot, he's laying flat on his back. A little fellow stands over him. A little fellow looks down in his eyes and Saul said, would you help me? Could you get me back to my medics? Could you get me back to my tent? And the little fellow said, no. No, I don't think that's possible. And Saul, through eyes that had been smeared with blood and pain, he said, well, well why not? Who, who are you? And the little fellow looked down at him and said, well, you see, I know you. I know that you're the king of Israel. You're King Saul. And you're not going to like what I'm fixing to tell you, but I'm not an Israelite. I'm an Amalekite. Can you imagine what it must have felt like to Saul to look up into the eyes of the very thing he didn't destroy? The very thing that he thought he could live with. The very thing he thought he could change. The very thing that he thought he could coexist with and realize. The thing I let live is now going to take my life. I'm going to tell you something, congregation. There's too many Amalekites here this morning. New convert, you better listen to me. There's too many Amalekites in your life. You can't let it live. Old converts, you cannot afford not to do what you know. The Bible, the Word of God, the Holy Ghost, the written Word is commanding or asking of you to do. If you let it live, you won't live much longer until you're flat on your back looking up into its eyes and it's going to answer your question. I am the thing that you would not deal with. I don't care how small it is. I don't care how insignificant you think it is. If God of this pulpit asks it of you, you've got to make that choice. You've got to make that change. You've got to draw your sword. Things that we think we can live with. Things that we think we can coexist with. Things that we think we can handle. There's some of you here today that's trying to hide things and you're trying to keep it hid. You don't want anybody in this church to know. But I'm going to tell you something in the Holy Ghost. It's fixing to be shouted from the rooftop. Last time I felt this, matter of fact, the last time I preached along these lines was at Donald Lance's church in Jackson, Tennessee. And I walked to this group of people over here and I said, sir, you're right over here in this area. I said, if you don't get this thing dealt with today, today. 
I said, it will, it will hit national news. It's going to be so big, the world will know. And the church snickered. And it wasn't long until after, a week or two later, that they found the guy with a camera. And he would put it on his shoe, and he would stand under the little girls of the church, and he had it in the restrooms. And he was convicted of child pornography, and it rocked the church, it rocked the community, and it had been going on for years. God doesn't want to expose you. He wants to cleanse you. God doesn't want to break you or wound you. He wants to heal you. But when he keeps asking you to handle the small things and you keep ignoring them, when he keeps asking you to do it right and you keep ignoring him saying it's not important, you're going to start that car, you're going to need that car, and that motor's going to lock up on you and freeze because you don't think oil's important. Living at an altar is important. You've got to live at this altar every day. I've got to say, you'll believe me today. You've got to live at an altar every day. You've got to die every day. You've got to spend time with God every day. Five minutes or 50 minutes or five hours. You better do it every day. You cannot handle your flesh by yourself. You need God every day. You can't live in this present world by yourself. You need God every day. I'm trying to reach for some saints here today that think you can negate and abort small things and maintain integrity with God. It won't work. Somebody stand to your feet and help me close this service today. Come on, voices, hands, voices and hands lifted. Voices and hands lifted. Come on. Come on. You better be careful here today. Keep praying. Keep praying. You're helping me right now. Keep praying. You better be careful here today. Because down deep in your heart, you know. Disobedience. Doing it because I want to do it. Doing it my way. When you know what the Word of God has asked of you and you don't think it's applicable to you, you're disobedient. When you've been talked to and asked, when you've been challenged and motivated but you don't think it's important, you're doing it your way. Small Things matter. Insignificant to you, but great to God, things matter. You cannot change those. You cannot abort those and please God. It matters. Little things matter. It matters. It matters. It matters. You better hear me. It matters. It matters. And you better deal with it today. You can't just show up on Sunday morning and think you're going to make heaven your home. It doesn't work that way. I'm sorry. This religion is not a Sunday morning only. It's an everyday thing, seven day a week thing. 
Come on, sir. Come on, couple. Come on, ma'am. I'm begging you, don't, don't, don't take this day lightly. Don't take it lightly. Don't let this moment pass you by. Now here's where it's going to get real fun. I need you to come down here with me today. And let's deal with some stuff. Come on. And if you stay in that chair. And you stay in your pew with God dealing with your heart right now. And you cover it up. I promise you. God will expose it. If we're going to have the revival that God's promised. We need a good cleansing. We need to let some junk go out of our lives. We need to come clean to the cross, with the cross, under the cross, and with the cross. Come on. Come on. Press in. Press in. Don't get stuck in the aisles. Don't get stuck in the aisles. God is asking you to handle some business. God is asking you to handle some things. And you listen. I do not feel the hand of judgment here right now. I feel warnings. Slay your Amalekites. Young couple, if you don't slay your Amalekites, you listen to me. If you don't slay what needs to be slain right now, it will get you. I'm not playing this in the game. As you come up the aisle, the Holy Ghost, some things need to be dealt with today in this altar. It's not judgment. It's a warning. Deal with it. Get your lives on the altar. Get rid of those Amalekites or they're going to get you. You don't want that. You don't want that. You know better. You know better. Lift your hands. Lift your hands. Close your eyes. Seek the Lord. You know better. You know better. You know better. Come on. Come on. Yes, it wants to live. Yes, the people will try to talk you into letting it live. No, sir, you can't control it and you can't handle it. The best thing you can do right now is take your sword and slay it. Obey God. Obey God. Come on, obey God. Obey God. Find you an altar of consecration. Find you an altar of commitment. Find you an altar of renewal. Make sure you and God know we're on the same page here. This is my struggle. This is the... This is the challenge of my life. This is what I'm tempted with on a daily basis. This is what I live with in my mind. This is the struggle that I have. But I cannot let it be greater than me. I cannot let it become greater than me. Calvary cleanses all. Calvary fixes all. Calvary covers all. Come on. When this thing knocks you out and you're flat on your back, you don't want to look up and hear, I am an Amalekite. You don't want to hear the very thing you're supposed to destroy and conquer. And God gave you time and time and chance after chance and you didn't think it was important. It is very important. Come on. 
I'm reaching for saints of God here today. Come on, cry out, lift up your voice. Come on, sir. Come on, ma'am. You don't have anything to be embarrassed with right now. This is the door of hope. This is the door of hope to the valley of Acor. This is your moment of hope. This is your moment of hope. That's it. That's it. Keep crying out. Come on. said come on Come on, that's it, stammering up a new tongue. That's it, open your mouth, let your tongue go. Come on, don't worry about what it sounds like. Open your mouth, let your tongue go. Come on, they're getting the Holy Ghost in this altar today. Cleanse us.
Come on, there's a cleansing, there's a renewing. There's a cleansing and a renewing here today. There's people realigning their hearts. Come on, lift up your voice and cry aloud. It's too quiet in here. It's too quiet in here. There ought to be some folk travailing right now. There ought to be some folk interceding right now. Be not deceived, for God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Come on, sir. You messed up. Come on, mother. You messed up. But it's not over. God didn't drag you down here to judge you. He drug you down here to warn you. I love you enough. I love you enough. I'll fix you right now if you'll talk to me about it. That's it. Hear my cry, O oh Lord. 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 Yeah. Yes. That's it, husbands and wives. Make sure it's right. Make sure it's right. Make sure it's right. That's it. Make sure it's right. Hallelujah. 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 There you go. Lift up your voice. Lift up your voice. Cry aloud. Spare not. I gotta manage small things. I gotta get the small things right. My prayer life, my fasted life, my commitment level, my level of consecration, things I know God asked me for, things I've already committed to God, but I've not been given Him. The little things, the little things, the little things.
I understand it may not be for everybody. I understand you may have already clocked out and you're headed home. But to those this day is for, you better hear me. He's not here to humiliate you. He's not here to judge you. He's here to bring you back to the importance of small things in your life. Don't leave. Don't hurry. Stay as long as it takes for you and God to have a moment together. You got to master and be a master of the small things. Because on it hang the most of important things. And if you don't get the small details of Christianity right, I don't care how high you jump or how much you talk in tongues. When your feet hit the floor and your tongue stops, you're shipwrecked with no help. You're better off just throwing your hands up and saying, I have sinned and unto thee and thee only have I sinned. Make this about you and him. Nobody else involved. Let this be a moment where you and him have a heart-to-heart conversation. Get it right. He's your best friend. He's your best friend. He's the best thing that could ever happen to you. Would you lift your hands in this altar with me? And for the sake of some, would you lift your voice? Encouraging Maybe your neighbor to stay a moment longer when they hear you praying. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on, sir. Don't let her tears be wasted. Come on, sir. Don't let her be the only one that's broken. The femininity will reveal... The femininity will reveal. You better hear me. You can stay strong and masculine, act like nothing's going on, but the femininity reveals if you're truly one. Come on. Cleanse me. Wash me. Purge me. And I shall be clean. Don't stop. I'm asking you to keep praying. Just another minute or two here. Come on. Come on. You're meddling in things. It's going to destroy you. Let it go. Let it go. Take your hand off of it. Your kids are watching. Your family's at stake. It is important. It is important. It is important. And no, sir, you can't handle it. No, you're not made to handle it. No, it'll get you if you don't let go of it. Come on, stay the course.